0: All right, please turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1. I'll be reading 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 17 to 21. Let's pray first. Father, I pray that you show radically undeserved grace to these people and to me by allowing me to unfold the words and the connections within this long sentence this morning so that we would be gloriously impacted by the preciousness of the blood of Jesus for our everyday practical lives. To His glory, amen. Uh, There is that floating around in the church world. At times it's said explicitly within the Christian community and probably even more so, it's just fuzzily in the air that sees Christianity like this. If you've done a prayer, if you said, Jesus, come into my heart, if you confess Him with your mouth, He's your Savior. He might not necessarily be your Lord. So you got people who are within the church all going to heaven. Some are disciples, and some are not disciples. Some have made Jesus not only their Savior, but their Lord. Others just their Savior so that you don't see much difference in their life whatsoever other than they make a confession and got baptized. That is radically and dangerously wrong. And our text, once again this morning, hopefully will show that. So let's look. As you look down, if you have a Bible, chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verses 17 to 21. The first thing I want you to notice is that you can't see it in your English translation. But in the Greek, it's one sentence. And there is only one main focus or thing said that we are to do. And there are two reasons he gives for us to do it. The main clause, the main thing said is the second part of verse 17. Conduct your lives the way you live in fear. That's it. That's the main point of this whole section. And we have seen over the last two weeks that the first reason we are to do that is because of what comes before that. The beginning part of verse 17. Live your lives in fear. Why? Because we call on Him as Father, the one who will judge us according to our works. That's the reason we should. Now, this morning, He gives the second reason, which is verses 18 through 21. So let's read, picking up in verse 17. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. As you look at verse 18, just ask yourself, I help you. Do you see the logic of God's word here through Peter? Verse 18 begins with the words, Knowing that... Now, this is not a new sentence. In other words, what he's starting to do now in verse 8, Knowing that... Let me give you an example. I went to the store knowing that we needed milk. Well, what did I mean by knowing that? Another way to say it is, I went to the store because we needed milk. That's how we use these ing endings in English. Knowing that. In other words, so what he is saying from verse 17 to 18 is, live in fear because you know something. Just real briefly, think about the implications of that. Knowing, understanding in the Christian life has everything to do with how we live. Live this way because you know. Now, What, here's the key now, what he's saying in a synopsis this morning. What does Peter say is the reason, yes, I got that, therefore I will live in fear. What is the reason? What is it that we know? Live in fear because you know that you have been ransomed at infinite cost. That's what the Word of God says to us this morning. Let's look at it. He says, Knowing, in verse 18, that you were ransomed, or your translation may say redeemed, meaning the same thing, both good translations of the word lutrao, or lutron in Greek. It means a price has been paid to release someone, or bring them freedom. The word Peter is using is the word in the first century in the Roman Empire used to ransom or redeemed or to pay a price to buy the freedom of a slave. And now they're not a slave anymore. They have their freedom. Or to pay the price of a, for a hostage to get them free or, or, or release. This is the same word Jesus used, therefore, when he said in Mark 10.45, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom price for many. Now, if I were to just say, oh, that's great, there's a word, let's just talk theologically, biblically that way, instead of let's follow the text, I might this morning teach on, hey, ransom, ransom. And this would be true, biblically. The ransom price, Jesus paid a price with his death that purchased your forgiveness. It purchased justification by faith alone. It purchased your salvation, your freedom from sin forever. Guilt before God. Okay, That's all biblically, it's all true. But, I'm not going to do that, because the question this morning is this. In the context, what are we ransomed from? The answer is we are ransomed from an empty, purposeless, aimless, futile, this is is what he's saying, this is the word he's using, way of living. Verse 18 again, read it slowly. Knowing that, because you know that you were redeemed or ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Now, now know why they do that. Because futile ways, it would have been more clear, even in your English translation, if they would have translate it the same way they translated it already two other times in this context. This is the third time he uses the word about ways or living, where he translates it context. For instance, in verse 15, Peter had just said, quote, you also be holy in all your conduct. Same word. Verse 17, conduct yourselves, there it is again, conduct your life, do your life, live, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your exile in fear. And so he says here, knowing that you were ransomed from, and then he calls it an aimless or purposeless conduct or way of living. So, what he is saying is that Christ redeemed us from the way we lived before we were born again. That's the flow of the whole first chapter. Something significant in your coming to embrace Jesus and the message of the gospel is radically changed. Born again people live Act and think differently post new birth. Now, what's the price? First, he ransomed you from a particular way of doing your life. At what price? Notice he uses a comparison. He says, Here's the price. Not this, but this. Verse 18. Not with perishable things. That's not the price. He didn't purchase you with silver or gold. No, no. He grabs in the minds of the people the most valuable elements he can think of that would redeem the freedom of a slave. And he says, they're nothing. As endurable as they are, they will perish. Not with that. Then he drives it home. Verse 19. But with the precious, valuable blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The blood, it's the outward evidence of the sacrificial substitute who was slaughtered, bled, died. That was the ransom. Price. Now here's the first big question for our lives. How are we to understand or make sense out of Peter's logic in verses 17 to 19? Because hear it again now slowly. Here's his statement, his logical connection goes like this. Conduct. Are you a Christian? Do you call yourself a Christian? Do I call myself a Christian? Here it comes at me. He is saying, conduct your life in fear. Because you have been ransomed at such an infinite cost. If you're like me and some of you know how I am, it irritates you at times, and I know, it's my problem, I'm broken, and, but I'm really honest when I do not understand when I'm in a conversation with a person. I try not to be irritable or, or irritating, I just really know, if I went home and tried to explain to my wife the logic of what you just said, I would not know what to do. That means, that tells me, I don't understand yet what's in your mind. Let's just keep working at it. And so, when I look at this, so here's the logic. Okay, Joe, Jesus, he says, paid such an infinitely valuable price to purchase your freedom. Therefore, you're supposed to live in fear. Okay, I want to know, the, what, what does that mean? How do we, okay, let's be practical. I want to know how to live. I want to know how to do that. See, the logic is like that of Psalm 130, verse 4. Listen to to how the Lord says it there. Listen to this. But with you, Lord, with you, there is forgiveness so that you may be feared. We do it. There's oh, forgiveness. He's forgiven me. Why? So that I'll fear him. Okay. Okay. And my mind's going, Mm-mm. Okay. What are we supposed to make of it? Well, at least let's start this way. On the surface, I mean, the text seems to be clear. In proportion to the value of the ransom price of Jesus Christ, to whatever proportion that is, to that proportion we are to fear. Seems to make sense. But you would think it would be the other way around. That the more precious, the more valuable, the more permanent, the more effective the ransom price of Christ's blood, the less need there is to fear. And I say to that, yes, that is biblically, centrally, true in one sense. Let me just give you a for instance. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 32, writing to believers. So hear it. He, the Father, who did not spare His own Son, He didn't hold Him back, He sent Him, To pay the ransom price. He did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also by him graciously give to us all things? Therefore, he goes on. Who shall bring any charge, therefore, against God's elect? No one. It is God who takes ungodly sinners and justifies them before himself forever. He does it. Who who is there to condemn? No one. Christ Christ. Jesus is the one who died. His precious blood. He paid the infinite ransom price. And it's clear all over the Bible, at the center of the gospel, if you belong to Christ, if you are in Him, Then there is absolute assurance of salvation to be had. And so, yes, my answer first is to what about not fear? Yes, to the extent we grasp the gospel, the goodness of God in the cross of Christ, to that extent it brings peace, not fear. Okay, so back back to our text, the question. How are we to understand what Peter is doing? Because his logic is just simply clear. He is saying, because of the value of Jesus' blood, therefore, conduct your life in fear. Okay, maybe he means fear... Living in such a way, fear-living, as though that's giving evidence that in you the ransom price of Christ is not valuable or precious. I think that's exactly what he means. Because in the context, he says that the design of the cross, the design of the ransom is to rescue us from how we live. To rescue us from living the way we inherited sin nature. Verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways or conduct. Daily living, the futile, aimless way you used to live, you're ransomed from it. So he's saying that the goal, the purpose of the ransom in verse 18, here in this text, in the context, is not forgiveness here in this context. It is transformation of your life. It's victory in this battle with sin. And you experience victories, ups and downs and failures. But there's something about the blood of Christ that purchased different direction in your living or life. In this text, the reason Jesus shed his blood is to change our conduct from the inside out. Yes, at the core of the cross, propitiation happened. That's not the subject in this text this morning. Propitiation happened where God's justice was satisfied by pouring out His wrath, as we sung this morning, pouring out His wrath on the substitutionary Lamb, Jesus. And thus, guilt, which we had and were culpable of before God, was punished and dealt with completely, fully. That happened on the cross. That's true. The cross purchased justification. That is, God declaring those who are in Christ to be now and forever. The declaration. Righteous. Perfectly forgiven and perfectly, positively righteous with my son's righteousness. But how? As we saw two weeks ago. We're justified by faith alone. Okay, now, but faith, that's the question. What is that? That is what, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, is what the Holy Spirit produces when he comes and causes that sinner to be born again. In other words, so, but what is that faith that is produced? At the core, the essence of what faith is. Is, is a desperateness for God. There is a new taste for the depth of your own sin and a fear of taking God lightly. In other words, saving faith, this miracle of being saved, causes that sinner broken, messed up Joe LeMay to do an about-face. Oh, he's still a sinner. But he is moving. His life is in a different direction. 180, from the way it used to be. His sense of grief. Over his sin. Thus, faith in repentance based upon the cross of Christ. It moves that way. He has produced a different direction. Listen to how Paul says this in Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Hear it again now. Hear the words he's using, like Peter. He says, Jesus Christ gave himself for us in order to ransom us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Okay, that's different. Something's changed in them. He's saying the people who are being ransomed are evidenced by faith. He didn't use the word here, but he did. He says these are those where it's Different. They're zealous for good works. And for Paul, the good works here are not works that are separated from its devotion, its passion, and its desperateness for God and to trust His Word. And therefore, when Peter says, conduct your lives in fear because you know that you were ransomed from bad, sinful patterns... Of living, and you're ransom by what the blood of Jesus. He means fear conducting yourselves in a way that shows or evidences in your life that that blood is not very precious or valuable to you. Why? Because the cross of Christ, His blood purchased new birth. It purchased the faith that we all need in order to be saved. It purchased the justification which becomes ours when faith comes alive. And that same blood purchased sanctification, a direction of living pursuing Christ. So, we look at our professions. If the evidence is that since I've embraced Christ, I know my, I have old desires, but I have new desires and I'm making different decisions. I can see that my life has changed. That's the fruit of faith. But if the pattern and direction of a professing Christian's life has not changed in its lifestyles, then maybe the blood of Christ has not been applied personally to their life. Let me take what I have said so far. let, Let me put that in a larger, what I think, a larger theological canopy of scripture, of Christianity, of the gospel. Okay? So far we just looked at the text. It seems to be the flow now. Okay, let's put that in a larger structure of my understanding of my my Christian life. And let me say this. Every believer should pursue all the time in their lives. Pursue assurance, confidence of their salvation. Why? Because if you are a genuine believer, if you have been born again, if you are in Christ, then it is absolutely true that you have been justified by faith. That means set right with God once and for all time because it is true for you as we talked last week in the sermon about that future judgment day. There is an assurance available for us to pursue that I am assured of the verdict of that day. Acquitted. Righteous. Enter. Okay, that's gospel. But now, we are never to twist that precious valuable, important doctrine of assurance of salvation in order to justify sinful patterns, ongoing, unrepentant patterns of life that may be proving that we do not value the cross, the precious blood of Christ. Again, so let me say it this way. His blood The value of that blood purchased justification and it purchased sanctification. The pursuit of holiness, in other words. It purchased absolute forgiveness of sins and it purchased a type of conduct in your life until they put you in a box. See, biblically, justification, sanctification... They cannot be utterly separated. They are distinct, but not separate. And therefore, if in our conduct we are tempted, now get this word, habitually, ongoingly, unrepentantly, to live in a pattern of life as though the blood of Jesus we're unable to change our direction, then we should fear. I think just what he's saying. If we conduct our life in an unrepentant way, continually bearing witness that we are not placing our hope or our joy in the Word of God, that is in God, in His commands, in His promises, in the glorious promise of the gospel. Our lifestyle, our decisions, our bearing witness, my hope is not in Him, in His blood. Then maybe we are not merely backslidden Christians. Maybe. We are false believers who do not have genuine, saving faith. We're supposed to feel that. I do. It's a grace to feel the reality of that sentence I just said. And then we're supposed to do what Paul said check yourselves. To see if you're in the faith. Okay. So to the extent, ooh, how did I let my heart harden that much? We are to fear. And that fear drives you, if you're real, to repentance. And embrace. And assurance is revived. That's what I think is the logic is. Now, Peter now, just notice. It's one long sentence. He doesn't stop there, at verse 19. He goes on. Oh, and this is so... This is just God's mercy to us to do this in this context. Because he has Peter to go on and to just elaborate on Christ. Why? In order to increase, not Jesus' value but in order to increase our sense of the reality, of the value of the blood of Christ. Why? So that in your temptations and sinning this week, you will be all the more appalled. How? To the degree that we are all the more overcome and blown away with desire. For this infinite valuable prize of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he says in verse 20, read it, this Jesus who was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Why is he doing that? He's saying, Believer, look at him. Look at what we're talking about. From eternity past, this bloody cross was purposed, planned. Just Okay, Do it. If, boy, if you fall in love with history, some of us get blown away just by thinking about 3,000 years ago and studying Mesopotamia. Look what was going on there. Look how, he, look how the Western civilization, anyway, it started to unfold. That's a long time ago. Nothing. Long before he created. Or, better yet, get on the computer and look at those computer models or, or actual pictures from Hubble spacecraft and know this little ball that we're on, how small it is. And how far away the sun is until you realize actually, the sun's not far at all. That's just that ball of fire that, you know, we're one of these planets just, you know, flying around that little thing. But that sun's only one of billions within our home called the Milky Way. And the Milky Way is only one of billions that we even know about of galaxies itself that exist. It's tiny. On this little ball, a baby was born. On this little ball, God, before he flung the galaxies into existence, purposed everything centrally around the precious, valuable blood of his eternal son. And then he goes on. But now he was made manifest. That's that just all he means here, he came and he did it. In history it's come about in these last times. Got the galaxy in mind? See how insignificant you are? For your sake. He's doing this in order to send the roots of our trust, faith, and assurance deep into the eternal love and purposes of the Father for us. He's saying, believer, you occupy a central place in creation. You occupy you a central place in the galaxies. Think about Here's Peter now. He's writing this letter. He's going to have it copied, copied, copied. It's a general letter, meaning this is meant to go to hundreds of churches scattered throughout these five provinces. As he's writing this, from eternity past, he's purposed him, and then he was made manifest. He's writing probably in 63 A.D., which means 67 years ago he came in the womb of Mary. Which means when he's writing, for him, to these people, 30 years ago was the bloody cross. That's not, I graduated high school 30 years ago. Okay, That's what's going on. He was manifest. You see the cross? Or for us, 2,000 years later, he's saying, do you see? He sent him For your sake. Why does he say it? Because he means for us to be blown away. That the God of the universe (laughs) planned from eternity past and brought it about in human history, the sacrificial lamb, The precious infinite blood of Christ which would redeem us from a horrific, unending, just punishment and bring us into an unimaginable joy by enjoying God in mercy forever. Okay, now why? Okay, just put it all together. Therefore, when we think about hoping Placing our trust in sin, think about the ransom price. When we think about moving in a direction that evidences, I'm not that enraptured day after day with Jesus in this precious blood. He's just saying, you better be. Notice, the you, when he says, he did this for your sake, that your, that you, is defined very clearly. It's not general. You who? Those who have embraced, believe in this precious blood that redeems them. Notice, He did this for your sake, and now verse 21. For whose sake? For you who through Christ, through Him, that means Christ, through Christ you are believers God. That that you is really important in everything that has been said and in this text. The point is that that one human being, the eternal second person of the Trinity came, bled, died in order to accomplish that necessary work. Necessary which would bring sinful human beings back to God in a merciful loving relationship in other words this does not refer to all you theist all you who are monotheist in the world you believe there's only one god this is talking to you who believe in god uh uh all you God-fearing Americans living by the Judeo-Christian ethic. Th- this is talking about you. No. It, that, that would be a misreading of the text. But it's those, quote, who through Christ are believers in God. Let's read verse 21 again. You who through Him are believers in God. And He goes on. God who? Who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So He says now, see, He did not remain dead. That is, His resurrection vindicated that the price He paid freed you. It was accepted. He's saying, believers, death ultimately has been conquered for you. He's saying, Christ's ransom, atonement, It did not end with His suffering and His bleeding out in death. And nor does the message of now, the gospel to us, come and here's the promise, it doesn't end with some disembodied spiritual state for you. No. But we, like Christ, have the hope of the future Resurrection of the body forever. As Paul writes, Jesus, He was the first fruits, which means the harvest is coming in, then us at His coming. And so Peter is saying, Jesus is raised. He's saying He is to be your focus. Because you, as a believer, are going to follow Him in the resurrection And therefore what? How does that work? Therefore, when sin comes knocking at your door and says, right here, look at this. This would really make you happy. You say, it's true. There's a part of me that would really be enjoyable right now. It would make me happy in a sense for the moment. But meditating on Scripture is for the purpose for us to go on and say, but what about next week? What about next month? What about next year? What about for eternity? Christ has been raised who purchased me. Don't don't you know to lie about sin? Yes, I'm tempted means I have desire to lash back at that person. I have desire for sinful sexual temptation. I have desire for Cheating them somewhat in business. I'll make more money. I, you, yeah, admit it. Because that's who we are. Now, admit this if you can. This is why we're so desperate for the Bible. And if you don't meditate on Bible, and you don't read, and you don't have quite time, what, what do you do? But then you say, but what about next year? I'm looking to a greater offer of the resurrection. Christ's blood has purchased me. I'm laying up treasures in heaven as last week's sermon. I'm more interested in being a bigger balloon. That was for you who heard last week's sermon. Then, Peter ends the sentence this way in verse 21. You, with Christ who was, excuse me, who raised God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So now get the whole thing. One long sentence. And he says, God intended the result of His eternal plan before He ever created. Brought it about in Christ in history. What was your goal? He says, here was His goal. If you believe in Jesus, it was so that your faith and your hope would be in God. Okay now. Don't miss the connection. Don't forget the main command. We got to put this together. What is he doing? Because the main point has been what? Conduct your lives in fear. That is, conduct your life in a way that shows you love God. Not a way that shows you don't love Him or trust Him or look to Him. In other words, fear not placing Your hope or trust in God. Okay, That's been his point. Then he ends the one long sentence with saying, God did all this for your sake so that your faith and your hope would be in God. Why didn't he end it with, God did all this... So that you would live in fear. So that you would conduct your life with a fear. I think he did say that. And if you've been listening the last three weeks, it's what he's saying. What do you mean? He's saying to conduct your life in fear, as I've tried to unfold, at its core, has to be meaning fear living, fear doing, fear acting in life as we move down and take steps down the road of life, fear doing that in a way that shows that you don't hope or trust in God, which is the same as saying He did all of this so that your hope. And your trust would be in God. Does that make any sense yet? Okay. I'm going to repeat it again anyway. Conduct your life in fear of not trusting Him because the cross of Christ is so precious. And valuable. Infinitely valuable. That's why you should do that. The reason that God sent Christ and paid this ransom price, which is so infinitely valuable, is so that your faith and your hope would be in Him. Be one of those people. It's the gospel. If you were ever brought up or having your idea a, a, a paradigm of, of of what the church is, that you preach the gospel to the unbeliever. Okay, now that you're believers, we do something else. <laughs> Pray that God can just expunge that from your categories because it's just so unbiblical. We are all desperate for this one gospel until the day we take our last breath. It is the power of God unto salvation. So, God is calling us, abundant grace, to constantly wake up to the fearfulness and the folly of hoping in sin evidenced by the way we live. Why? Because the cross of Jesus is so infinitely worth, precious, valuable, because it alone is the only way to eternal salvation from sin. And, guilt. and we are to live, therefore, he says, in the constant knowledge that that precious blood of Jesus alone is appropriated to sinners through faith. Faith is that which produces works of faith, acts, or a lifestyle. Therefore, the command overall flowing throughout 1 Peter chapter 1, remember how he starts then in verse 13. Here it is. Just hear the commands at us now over these last number of weeks. Peter now says, Therefore, abundant grace, hope fully in the grace to be brought to you. Be holy in all your conduct and fear conducting your life in a way that shows you don't have faith. Or to take all that together, He is saying, stop trying to satisfy your desires for happiness with the world. And all the God-belittling temptations of it. He's saying, fear Conducting your life in a pattern of unbelief because true and everlasting happiness is found in God through Christ who shed His precious blood to purchase you a new life of living. Let's pray. So Father may, may we and it says only by the power of your spirit and grace feel the impact this yes, that is feel the joy of this passage in our lives in a very significant way this week, this month, in such a way that it would, it would be embedded in our consciousness, it, it would produce a more deliberate living and activity, and worship, and delight, and desperateness for clinging to the sun. Our great Savior, to His glory and our real happiness.